Hello everybody and welcome to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. At Evolution we are committed to helping people and NHS organisations realise their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. We collaborate with NHS organisations to help them build high-performing digital teams. We achieve this by curating and sharing insights into the ever-evolving NHS and digital industries best practices, such as the podcasts we're running this evening. Um, my name is Emma and today I am your host. Today on the panel, we have four NHS leaders from the Yorkshire and North East region. We have Iklak, Sam, Simon and Mark. Before we move into the introductions, I'd just like to add that the views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily affect the official position or policy of their organisation. So before we kind of delve further into the topic of cybersecurity in the NHS, we'll work our way around the the room with some introductions. Um, So I would just like to know who you are, your role, your background and what your biggest passion is. Um, so Iklak, we'll start off with you, if that's okay. That's fine. So my name is Iklak Ahmed and I work well with Care NHS Foundation Trust and my role is a cybersecurity analyst. I guess my passion will be uh, kind of making sure NHS organisations are secure, but also creating the awareness of cybersecurity, uh, not just within employees, but as in public as well, making sure that they're keeping safe when they're um, browsing the internet or engaging with any SM, um, third parties or something, they kind of buy something from the internet or not. Perfect. Thanks, Iklak. Simon, we'll come round to you next. Yeah, great. I'm Simon Slatum. I'm the Information Assurance and Security Manager in Northumbria Healthcare. I think my passion is risk reduction. It's all we can do. We're here to make sure the trust can do what they need to do with the lowest lowest risk. So that that's where my team comes from. And I'm NHS through and through. I've been with the NHS for 30 coffee years now, um, about the last 25 in the IT department, starting on desktop support and, and becoming security manager about five or six years ago. Perfect. Thank you very much, Simon. Um, Sam, round to you next. Hi, I'm uh, Sam Marshall, the uh, cybersecurity lead at uh, York and Scarborough Trust. Um, 20 years experience in IT with 12 in the uh, in the NHS and in infrastructure and cyber across a couple of um, NHS uh, acute trusts. Um, my passion, I mean, it's, it's probably making positive impact and change within the NHS. Um, similar to Simon, I've got blue blood as well. Um, so yeah, doing everything I can um, to be able to do that. Perfect. Thank you very much, Sam. And then Mark, last but not least, round to you. I'm Mark Bell, the Information Security Specialist here at Gated Health NHS Foundation Trust. I've been around the NHS a good few years now. I think 18. I think I've spent 10 years under Simon at Northumbria and the rest of my time here at Gated. And for my sins, I've moved across into the cyber realm for the last year and a half, nearly two years now. And my real passion is that risk awareness, raising the, the awareness of risk within an organization and what services can do to help reduce the risk themselves, as well as what we can do is in the technical teams to help control that risk and put the mitigations in place that we can. Perfect. Thank you very much, Mark. Um, Okay, so great. Now we've kind of established a context of everybody's role. Um, We'll move into the questions. So, Iklak, we're going to go with your question first, if that's okay. So, um, what I'll do is I'll pose the question to the group. 
um it like i'll come back to you to kind of give like a bit of an overview and a bit of a context so then we can kind of move around on to the kind of discussion um so it like first question is should nhs organizations solely rely on the data security and protection toolkit for securing the organization um so it do you want to give us a bit of a contact context and maybe for anybody that doesn't know including myself um a bit more about kind of what the data security and protection toolkit is if that's okay so this is the kind of a governance that com- well governance risk and compliance that nhs uses for trust and any other organizations that deal with uh, nhs and they adopt this to make sure that everything stay in line with um, how the organization operates and perfect okay um so do you want to give us a bit of a context as to kind of like you know why you're learning to you know wanting to learn more about this from, from others in the in the group i guess this is trying to uh, have a, a different perspective from colleagues across uh, other organizations how how they actually see DSPT in their organization. I guess this is also the cyber assessment framework and what their understanding is and how they, they could actually improve their organization's security posture. Perfect. Thank you for that. Um, Simon, we'll come around to you first on this one. So what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, well, the, the DSPT, Data Security and Protection Toolkit, has recently started taking on some elements of the cyber assessment framework, which I think is great. Because at the minute, the DSPT is really three sizes fits all. There's three categories of accreditation. And depending on what kind of organization you are, you fit into one of those. And it's quite checklisty. Do this, do that, do the other thing. Whereas a cyber assessment framework is more understand your estate and secure it appropriately. You understand what data you've got and what you're doing with it. Design and build the controls that you need. Um, so we're already seeing some changes in the DSPT away from this generic checklist. Make sure you've got USB device control. Make sure you've got this. Turn that off. Turn this on. It's now become a understand and um, and and develop um, the appropriate controls you need. And also with things like the um, NHS DCB secure email, you have to start using the CIS benchmark accreditations to validate that if you've got private tenants. So we're seeing this stuff come in anyway and uh, we certainly found the dspt as it like said it's all nhs organizations and nhs organi- other third-party organizations who deal with patient data have to have this but outside the nhs it means nothing to anyone so we have some commercial services in the trust who are trying to get business from councils and things and the councils come back and say where's your iso 27001 where's your cyber essentials and we go well, we've got the dspt and they say yeah it means nothing where's your cyber essentials and where's your twenty-seven thousand and one? which is a bit rich coming from some councils who have neither but um the the dspt is purely nhs and it means nothing outside the organization so i think that there is definite value in in taking bits of knowledge and maybe seeking other kinds of accreditation for your healthcare organisation, for sure. Perfect. Thank you very much, Simon. Um, Sam, we'll come round to you next. Uh, yes, I mean, with regards to DSPT, I think you know alignment to a framework is is completely one hundred percent necessary. It kind of establishes the the baseline of what we're all working to. I think as an NHS organisation, though, we do need to be more diverse and 
you know, apply a holistic approach to to aligning to frameworks because one size doesn't fit all. And and that kind of brings in continuous improvement um, for the ever-evolving threat landscape. Um, I think the the shift in DSPT moving to CAF and it's more outcome-based, like, like what Simon touched on there, the tick box exercise, it, it requires a lot more evidence and, and governance and structure um, than what the DSPT currently is, which is it kind of it feels like it's aligned to Cyber Essentials Plus as as an accreditation rather than uh, anything else. So, so yeah, the, the the way that we look at it, at our organisation is is like I say, holistically, we try and cover and take elements of of the best practice frameworks that are out there um in order to you know essentially make our you know systems more secure perfect thank you sam and then mark round to you yeah i think go on expand on what simon and sam were just saying there about about the the CAF and the dspt it's much more coming more aware of the processes that you've got in place and the things that you've got in rather than it being just a checkbox saying yeah i changed my firewall passwords I change the default passwords, things like that. It's much more, do you understand what you're doing and how you're going about doing it, which is great. But again, it's still DSPT. It only means things to the NHS. And to get that continuous program in place, that's sort of more for along the ISO 2701, which that needs to be brought in. And in my head, we need a bit more guidance around, this is the framework that we're going to go down and that's up the organization. It needs to be led by leadership in an organization. They're the ones that need to be able to drive that to enable staff, to enable us as security specialists in our roles to justify to the business why we're doing these things. It's not just a case of having the framework and we're abiding by the DSPT. The pressure comes when you fail something on a DSPT and it turns around and says, leadership will come back and question, why have you failed that? Well, we need this resource, okay? And it's about having those senior senior discussions and discussions without with the entire business, because at the end of the day, security and DSPT affects the whole organisation, not just those responsible for that little bit of it. Thanks, Mark. Simon, something you'd like to add? Yeah, I was just going to say, my, I've managed to get um, good buy-in here, and I've got good funding to develop to to recruit. We're interviewing tomorrow just can't get people yeah. even when you get the support the marketplace is against what the nhs is doing in this place why come to the nhs when you can go off in the private sector and and fill your pockets with money and the boot of your car and drive home? well that's one of the things i've noticed if you look at nhs england jobs they've got the season the current jobs are out they have got a 20 percent uplift on them but staff retention yeah because the, the thing we've touched on it, Sam and yourself touched on it, the, the cyber assessment framework's great. We get to understand our environment, but the resources and the time and the effort needed to do this rather than just run down a, a checklist of things, although the DSPT is more than that, but that's fundamentally where it starts. Sending people out, discovery, the tools you need to discover your estate and how, what's happening with your data, the people you need to find that is quite a significant yeah. investment in time money and, and effort thanks simon sam do you want to yeah i was just gonna you know building on what mark said i mean we kind of use the saying the board toward um you know and and that is essentially what the what the assessment framework is saying it's going to require that buy-in and engagement right from the top right down to the bottom and and you know 
providing that that driving cultural change which obviously doesn't happen overnight um but with regards to to the cyber assessment framework that level of understanding is what's required you know from a, from the entire organization and cyber as as a function really is that business support it's not the technological piece that that, that it's sometimes affiliated with it's the uh, it's the overall organization and and how we support it thanks sam um Iclac, does that kind of answer the question for you is there anything that you kind of want to add before we move on no i mean it's, it's quite good uh, feedback there from and uh, uh, the part of this podcast so definitely uh forward to breaking down what they've said perfect thank you um I, I suppose simon probably your question is quite good to kind of follow on from this around the cyber um assessment framework so how prepared do you feel for the intro- introduction of the cyber assessment framework um, into the data security protection toolkit? So do you want to kind of add to that? Um, yeah, just a little bit really. Be, we, um, I think probably back in the time you were still with us, Mark, um, we started looking at the ISO 27001 because that was going to be the way we accredit- We wanted our own secure email service rather than the NHS and you to accredit it six or seven years ago you had to have the ISO 27001 we got nearly through that and then they changed it and said yeah DC yeah yeah DSPT will do it but we had a year of doing the ISO 27001 which takes a quite similar approach to the 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 CAF understand what you've got out there understand what you're doing with it and then build your controls around that it was quite similar in that so we had about a year of working in this way and doing those sorts of assessment um so although i you know i wouldn't like to say we we were perfect at that we did have some experience of approaching it in this way and i'm just wondered organizations who hadn't had that bit of experience and looking at things at this angle were feeling about the resourcing implications and we've kind of touched on that in in the previous question that um it hasn't the DSPT DSPT hasn't gone a hundred percent over to this the calf, but it, it's it's bringing those elements in, and there's going to be a massive impact on organisations who can't just go to section four point two and tick a box. They now need to go and do four weeks work around that to understand what they're trying to control, what they're trying to measure, what risks they're trying to reduce, and what controls they need to put in place. I was Thanks. really wondering. I think we've we've touched on it previously about what everyone understanding what that's going to mean for their particular organization yeah thank you simon i mean i could see you kind of nodding your head away there to a few points that simon was making is this is there anything that you'd kind of like to to add yeah i mean is is definitely if you already work towards secure email standard and if you have done your cyber essentials plus for your environment, you you may have kind of uh, in some way be already be prepared for CAF because you don't need access controls. Uh, I'm not sure it's not fully like they say niche 853, but you you done the work. And I guess it just depends how the organisation sees the full CAF when it actually rolls onto them. And I guess see how the board responds when they need to start making changes and are they going to provide the resources, the manpower, etc. to kind of move forward otherwise i think you may have a bit trouble getting that dspt uh, achievement okay thanks Clark. sam is there anything that you kind of want to add i know that obviously we've kind of touched upon elements this question but yeah um, I, I, oh sorry, sorry. 
Um, sorry, yeah. I thought you said Simon. Sorry, edit <laughs> <laughs> that bit. Out. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> now the the, uh, the way that we did when when obviously we we heard that there was going to be an alignment to the cyber assessment framework. One of the first things that we did was we commissioned um, some third party gap analysis, um, and that kind of helped us structure um, like an improvement roadmap uh, for the next three to five years, and. The one thing we've been trying to do is separate that out into tactical and strategic decisions that need to be made. You know, what are the quick wins? What what are the bits that um, that we can do immediately? Which, which which things are going to take a bit longer? And you know that that requires a lot more of a structured rep- approach. And you know, redefining our operating model as a, as a cybersecurity function and 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 getting that board engagement because obviously that that's going to create, as we've already touched on, it is resource heavy. Um, there's going to be a lot more collaboration required, you know, cross-functionally with with information governance and procurement, finance teams. Um, so that's that's kind of how we've started to prepare it and tried to to make that shift almost in um, in, in getting it away from the from the technological perspective and and more in, in uh, about the people and the processes and and how we structure that and how we provide the evidence around. You know governance, which is essentially aligned to all the risks that we've that we carry. Because um, even despite the fact, you know, with with cybersecurity, we've got the national strategy for health. We've got we work together, you know, as part of our ICS to come up with everything. Uh, the risk still sits with the individual trust. So uh, yeah, building that kind of program of works around. The alignment to CAF, it's let's be honest, it's a monster. Uh, it's going to take an awful lot of time and uh, resource, but it's positive. That's the thing. It's, I think you know, I genuinely believe it's a positive change for the NHS and and, and how we uh, how we approach cybersecurity. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Sam. Um, Mark will come round to see you next. I don't think there's much more to to add to things. I think we're we're there. I think the the CAF is a good way to go for for. For myself, it was a case about around about waiting to see what the DSPT is going to look like because I don't, you can prepare against the CAF, but if you do a full gap analysis against the CAF, every trust would be sort of going to the board and going, we need an extra 100 staff in cybersecurity because I'm I'm pretty sure the CAF says you need, or is it one member of cybersecurity for every 250 employees? Are you going to get that funding? That's that it. Is that understanding isn't it, between yeah. what the CAF is and, and what the NHS, you know, the version of the CAF will yeah. become? Yeah, and it's kind of getting that balance right. And so it's how can you do that? And at the minute, I've just, I've actually just, funny enough, been looking at the DSPT version six that's been updated today, and there's elements in there that have t- have been taken out. And I'm sitting there going, should they have been taken out? And, and other things that have been CAF. Sorry, sorry, Matt. Yeah, I, I expected this year's DSPT to be more aligned to CAF than what it has. Yeah. Um, and I, we were expecting that change. It doesn't change our plans, um, but I was mm-hmm. expecting uh, that to, to provide me with a bit more clout, especially, uh, you know, going away and finding extra resource, etc. Yeah, me too. I was in, the, in an NHS England research session in february where they were talking mm. to security managers about the CAF, and they seemed to be suggesting during that framework it was going to be quite hard hitting this year and we'd see big differences but yeah they, they weren't there in yeah. quite the degree i was expecting yeah that was was that the nhs england user groups 
Um, these were like one-to-one sessions. Yeah. A couple of people. Yeah. Yeah. No. Same. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Um, so Simon, kind of bringing that back around to you now, obviously that was your question. Are you, is there anything else that you want to add? Any other questions you want to kind of build on following that? I don't think so. I think we all, we, we all realise where we are with that one. Perfect. All right. Great. Okay. We'll, we'll move on to the next question. So Sam, we're coming around to you on this one. Um, so we have what strategies and best practices do NHS trusts implement to promote a strong cybersecurity culture and increase employee awareness? So do you want to give us a bit of an overview of that one? Um, yes, I mean, from my perspective, it's just, you know, a keen interest in, in, in what other people in a similar situation to myself, how what they're doing to try and, you know, drive that culture change uh, and improve that awareness um obviously like the cultural integration uh of how we you know apply cyber security to trust values and organization missions and values etc um you know with the difficulties that we've got in the nhs i mean we're still we still talk about you know the covid recovery we're still kind of you know coming out of the the, the back of that um doctor strikes etc you know it, it seems like it's quite a difficult subject to try and enforce and change in you know what is a very stressful time really um you know to, especially to try and put more on people uh on, on the employees especially um like i say when when it's testing enough so so my my kind of question was was to you to you guys was uh you know how have you found that in your trusts that you know being able to get that engagement that collaboration that buy-in thanks sam um mark we'll come around to you first on this one for me i've been trying to change the narrative so for years before cybersecurity was a big thing everyone's been told users are the weakest link they're the biggest risk to an organization and whilst they still are they're also our greatest resource and you've got to change the narrative because as soon as you say to someone, you've clicked the bad phishing link, go and do some training. That's a negative impact on them. As well saying, you've clicked on a phishing link, we've caught it. Ideally, next time, these are the things you need to look out for, but report it as well. That's the thing, you need to encourage them to report it. The more the more things get reported, the quicker we can react in security. The more time we've got to react. Someone notices something and doesn't get reported, oh, that's someone else's problem. Oh, IT need to deal with that. Don't know about it. And that gives you less time and increases the impact of the organization. So you talk about, for me, it's talking about the impact, but not talking about the impact in a negative way, talking about it in a more of a positive way. So give us it, give us it sooner. So it reduces the impact and we can get, get sorted sooner. Nine times out of 10, it's probably going to be a false positive, but it doesn't matter. Report it for me. That's, that's it for me. Getting that awareness out there is it's just putting positive spin on what is a negative subject at the end of the day getting that impact to the users is really really hard isn't it it's yeah it is because it is like turning that negative you don't want it to be that you know it's we're not a speed bump we don't want to be uh you know the brakes on anything it's a uh but it's difficult turning that negative into a positive and you know improving them communication channels yeah it's 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 encouraging people to be open and honest and yeah not going oh I've I've done that by accident. I shouldn't have done that sort of thing. It's more more on. You've done it. That's great. How can we help you? How can we support you from doing that again and try and help correct that behavior? And once once that behavior has gone out, 
being corrected, they'll start talking about it and generate by word of mouth. That's ideally where I'd like to get to. Part of the thing that I do is I tend to do is try and do some blogging and like like the recent thing at MGM from a, a, a vishing phone call from just find, find that out, getting that information out there to the organization. These are the types of things that happen outside. These are things we need to be aware of inside our organization. Great. Thank you, Mark. Um, Simon, we'll come round to you next. Um, similar to what Mark's saying, we always try and make the comms kind of, here's what you can do to help keep the trust secure and not here's what not to do and try and keep that message of you are helping secure the trust. Um, we have a good comms team. They help get the message out. Um, although we seem to rely on quite a lot on screensavers, which baffles me, put a message up when there's no one there. Great idea. Um, so we have uh, screensavers, information screens, and we have we we did procure as part of our male hygiene tool some cyber awareness training that was the worst cyber awareness training it's possible to buy and we didn't use it um but we have um got i got some central investment from the nhs this year and we've purchased another tool which is a lot better um it's not so much like sitting in the classroom to use it but there's a challenge there in that we have a learning and development team who look after the statutory mandatory training, which is getting better. The The cyber bit of the annual statutory mandatory training is a lot better than it used to be. Um, and we want their backing to get this stuff out and to support it. But it's going to be a long while before any of this awareness training can be made something that staff must do. So we, we've got some support from L&D. They'll support the delivery of it as long as we don't call it training. It has to be learning. Can't use the word training. Um, but, you know, the package we did have was very disruptive. You got an email saying, you here's, some, here's your lesson on whatever. And it was 15 minutes of your day, and our staff haven't got 15 minutes of the day. You had to assess how you felt you knew about this subject before you did the lesson then you assess the lesson at the end of it it was it was just awful and the one we've got now is a bit punchier it does nudges and small elements of um topical things and like mark we do um if there's a big breach in the news we will put something out saying there's been this thing and, and here's how you can help protect our trust from this sort of stuff um it's difficult, though, difficult to get the message out. We do feel we're doing quite well because we do get a lot of stuff reported, but we don't know what's not getting reported other than what we catch in our tools. It, it's a difficult, difficult, difficult thing to do, really. Um, but they are, it is a, it's a loop we have to close. Um, and the cyber tool we've got does include a lot of training and stuff for your own personal stuff as well. It's not just focused on work. It's It's got a... Um, question and answer bit how can I protect my social media all that sort of stuff so when you when you do sign in you've got a lot of information available it's not specifically work related and we're trying that's all I can say really we're, we're trying yeah. to get that positive message out here's what you can do to help keep the trust protected with an undertone of you don't want it to be your account that brings the trust down now do you and, and just just if you have you like deployed security champions in order to get that message out then or anything anything like that or is it is it kind of just coming from you and your team it um it comes from our me and my team to start with but the ccio network in the trust who are 
you know, the CCIO's got connections to leaders in every element for whenever there's any clinical change, any clinical impact, we use that network as well, which gets stuff to the uh, um, shop floor really quickly. So they were instrumental in things like when we brought multi-factor authentication in, that was a great channel to get the real story out to people rather than what people thought it meant and how they thought it would work. So we find that that works really well, but we, we don't have security champions out there as such. It's a good idea, though. Have you got that? Yeah, uh, we don't. But I, I've, like I say, spoken to a few trusts that, that have... Um, <laughs> have deployed this network of champions, um, which it, it does sound like a really good thing, but like like I say, it's it's so difficult to put that responsibility onto staff who are already, yeah. you know, under the cosh um, to, tr- to try and, you know, promote that on top of everything else that they're doing. It, it's almost uh, a bit of overload. Or, or that's how it felt from my personal perspective, but I didn't know, you know, if... If, if other people had done such, which is, you know, something that I've extended out to, to my network, how did they go about it? How did they, you know, communicate that and, and get that engagement? We do have application administrators here who look after particular clinical applications and so have very good contacts in certain areas. And we often get stuff relayed back from them where someone's got a concern and they say, oh, well, I'll just ask our system administrator and they can ask the question. So we do have a bit of a relay back to us through those sort of connections, but they're not explicitly um, security champions. I know. We need some people with some capes on, I think, flying yeah. on the trust. <laughs> Perfect. Um, Aclack, we'll come round to you. Is there, is there anything that you kind of want to add from kind of like your perspective and the trust? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 Zach brought Simon and Mark mentioned and uh, Sam. So, you know, you have like that awareness campaign that you do internally. You know, you have your comms making everybody aware of like your care actors, but you don't simplify the language. So you kind of tell them, look, this is what you look out for in your emails or your in your work. Even whenever you're browsing the internet or anything, just kind of watch out for where you, what you click on. And uh, it's, it's another thing is, uh, Mark mentioned about the culture change. It's the way I think. We have a, in our is the no blame culture. I think that's probably across the NHS as well. No blame culture. So we kind of encourage people to report as much as you can, even if it's just, if it is like insignificant, just report it anyway to your information or cybersecurity team. Along the the awareness is building, they can pass information on saying, okay, we have a team within the our organization that can handle these kind of uh, suspicious emails or anything that takes place in the organization. And again, what Mark mentioned uh, mentioned about a blogging. So if you have some kind of internet page for your cybersecurity, I mean, we do. So we kind of update it when we can. We provide all the guides how to set up multi-factor authentication on their personal devices, making sure that they have the same level of security that they have in the workplace is also kind of carried over onto their personal devices as well, the home security as well. So just kind of always working on that awareness and try to kind of get the leadership on board as well to get them to discuss in your, I guess your daily huddles, you guys probably have them as well, uh, and then kind of move the awareness through different meetings, kind of put it on the agenda, you know, saying, look, cybersecurity, we had so-and-so incident happened. Just keep a watch out for anything, your emails or the email come across. 
to your friends or colleagues to your external contractor that you work with kind of keep that awareness going yes perfect thank you Iqlaq. um i suppose kind of coming back around to you sam i've got like a bit of a question from my perspective i guess obviously i suppose i'm on the other side of it to you guys i guess maybe you know not in the nhs one of the things and maybe it's not necessarily to do with cyber security but if i've got like a particular problem and I don't really know who it is that I need to go to. Like, is it clear in the organisation that if this happens, this is the person that you need to report it to, you need to go to? Does does that like does that kind of happen in your organisation? Yeah, it's something that we're we're, we're currently improving on. Um, yeah. We've just we've just brought in a new um, IT service management um, tool, which kind of is the heart of you know the digital information service, um, and. You know, as a hope for that, it's, you know, we've, we've created some work streams in there for reporting security concerns. Um, but, yeah, it's getting that that message out there, again, that, that we've all touched on here, like the no blame um, and and like what Mark said, you know, we just need to know about it as soon as, as, soon as possible, you know, how daft somebody feels or, or whatever, you know, <laughs> if there's some security controls we can put in place to stop that from happening, if there's some awareness we can raise, you know, away from that, you know, to stop a user from doing it again, it's a, um, yeah, getting them to report on that is the first thing. But, but yeah, you're right, Emma, getting that message mm-hmm. out there so that it is easy for everybody to um, to report stuff, That that is a key part of it. Yeah, perfect. Is there anything else that's, anyone would like to go on? That's one of the, the key things, isn't it? It's having that user-level awareness or the staff-level awareness. But then we also need to consider the service desk as the first point of contact. So they need that little bit extra level of training to be able to help spot these things, help the end user, and be able to initiate that process. And then there's also an element of, I think, engagement with the user when you are deciding how you're going to address these things. Yeah. as well rather than doing it to them um we saw a, a, something that i thought was a brilliant idea it was a security awareness training program that was a bit like having having a security person over your shoulder whenever you it, it brought up little bubbles all over the screen when you did anything that could potentially be risky so you were dragging files to a usb stick little bubble would pop up are you sure you want to do this now and i thought this is a great idea but then we showed it to some users and they were like that's like the paperclip in office. In about two minutes, I am going to get thoroughly sick of that, and I am going to be yeah. really annoyed every time I say it. But, you know, it was all like just typing an email. This seems to be going outside the organization. Are you sure you should be sending this email? And it looked really effective, but the feedback was, no, that people will hate you for life if you reduce it's, that. It's getting that balance, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah. Intrusion on what users are doing, you can't you can't be blocking them or stopping them from doing what they need to be doing. No. And helping patients at the end of the day, but that's something I was going to actually ask on the back of this: is have anyone looked at tools that that integrate with your event systems? So, giving you that just in time. So, if someone does something, your event management, MDE, mm. uh, antivirus, or anything filters that, feeds that back to the system, and then the user gets something saying you've done this. And this is how you can stop. We've picked it up. We've blocked it. And this is how you can help block look at it. Because I know there's tools out there that do that sort of thing. Yeah, we, we've considered that with our Mimecast solution because Mimecast has an option that when it sees something dodgy, it will hold it user hold and it'll report back to the user. Do you just want to check these ones and see? Yeah. See if that's okay. 
and we haven't gone with that yet. And they've got a few other things that do that kind of user hold. So rather than the admins have to go and clear it down, users can go and see, oh, I've had yeah. these six emails. Do I want to release these to myself? Oh, Minecraft's held these going out because it thinks I'm doing something risky. But we, we've not done anything with that that yet. I think we'd want to do a lot of training of the system rather than the users. Yeah. Be confident that it was detecting and putting the right things in the, the box. Perfect. Thank you, everyone. Is there anything else anyone wants to add before we move on to kind of maybe maybe possibly the last question? No. Okay. Well, Mark, we're coming around to you next. So um, your question was, how do organisations deal with the risks associated with third-party contracts being signed without due diligence taking place, specifically when it comes to information security and ensuring the vendor has sufficient security practices? So do you want to give us a bit of a kind of overview to that one? Yeah, so this one's just around, you know, when services go out and procure their own systems or their own services with without taking on board things like doing a DPIA or going through the right procurement process to involve IT and those things. And on the back of that, what do we do if said supplier doesn't meet our own security requirements? So if we require... If an organization requires a third party to have cyber essentials or ISO, how do we feed that back to the organization to say, actually, how we can't use that service or we can use that service if we spend this extra money on these controls? That sort of thing. Thanks, Mark. Um, Iklak, we'll come around to you first on this one. That's a, it's a pretty good question. I mean, like you mentioned, the DPIA, if they're not following it, I guess the next thing would be to kind of... Um, work with information governance actually what exactly happened you know how come they're not going through the process that you have in place i mean you you create the process that you actually protect the organization you know if you're going out and you're procuring services let's just say and it involves accessing certain data and all the data that has been transferred over you definitely want that assurance from the vendor they have um some accreditation behind them cyber such as plus maybe iso 2001 you know, I, I guess in that one, you'll have to do some uh, some background checks, making sure they also comply with the DSPT or vendor side. Are they on the list for DSPT? So it's definitely, um, personally, not being involved in that one, but it, uh, it, it's a tricky one there. Thanks, Iklak. Um, Sam, we'll come around to you next. Uh, yeah, it is a good question. I think it is... Uh, it, it is something that has happened um and obviously understanding you know what has happened has already happened and you know kind of working forwards how we can prevent it from happening in the future is is everything that we've already spoken about that collaboration that awareness the you know senior buy-in so that you know the you know the senior managers are aware that this type of thing has happened in the past um and you know that we need to be doing the due diligence around everything i think i think as we move further towards the calf there's 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 more onus on um third party management so i think our understanding of everything with in regards to you know the information governance side the the dpia assessments and and our involvement on that um one thing you know that we've tried to do to kind of improve that procurement side is, is be involved as part of the the purchase conversation um 
you know, right from as early as possible, you know, the, getting awareness of, of, of what's actually happening. And and I think, you know, all this comes into like the continuous improvements that we're making. And, but yeah, as, as for the, the stuff that's happened already, um, obviously the risk does sit with us again on that and, and, and how we assess that in other than, you know, doing the, um, regular contract reviews, um, and, and, you know, having a, you know, documented review of the third party manning, uh, third party management is, is crucial in, in providing the evidence for what we're doing and understanding exactly what the organization is, is, is kind of going on with shadow IT. Um, but it, it is a huge problem, um, especially with the amount of kind of revenue streams that are available, um, you know, within, uh, within the NHS, I think it's, it's something that, that we kind of need to nip in the bud as early as possible. And, and other than getting us engaged in those conversations as, as early as we can, I can't see how things are going to improve. Thanks, Sam. Simon, we'll come round to you next. Yeah, well, we've, we've had the same problems over the years and, and it's taken us a while, but we're, we're get, starting to get into a stop-go position on these things now and without appearing to be a blocker or a bottleneck. Um, Dave Elliott, our Chief Digital Information Officer, has worked really hard with the organization and developed services inside our department, a project management and project support side, and also a change management side. So the benefit of bringing your procurement to us is we'll support you with change management. You know, come to us, we've got resource, we can support you with it. If you don't come to us, you can't have any of this resource to deliver what you're doing. So that's brought more of the conversation to include us now um there's still some stuff flips through but nowhere near as much as it used to we now have a project list as long as your arm but it's it's probably about 85 90 percent accurate of what people want to do we're not having so much of that doctor bottles gone out and bought something that is decided is going to manage this and we're now presented with a fait accompli that we need to make work um we're getting good information in each procurement we have a checklist that goes to the supplier broken down a general imt system security data conversion strategies all kinds of stuff big document where where they basically we ask it's it's like the dspt from our end we're asking do you do this yes or no they tick yes or no and you know explain your contract support contract um we're asking them. I think it touches on a question I think Mark you had, which was about the support components and stuff like that. We've got that on there that says all support components and everything must be in support for the length of the life of the project. And what is your strategy for updating these during the life of the project? So we have that and that's reviewed as part of the procurement. Uh, we touched on DPIAs. We do those and the security assessment that goes with those. We do them as well. Um, and any new procurement that hips over a certain value requires a business case and the business case has a specific part of it it asks about whether you're dealing with patient or sensitive information and if you are that triggers the ig and information security involvement as well so there is a process i wouldn't say 100 percent of projects go through that process but a lot more do than ever did before and it's taken a while to get there and obviously, it's quite a bit of resource in there because we do have this balance that tell us and we'll help you. 
we have resourced these resources to make sure that IT deployments in the trust will have full training, full support, change management and everything. You won't be just doing a new system to a department. We'll help you bring it in. We'll have floor walkers, we'll have change managers and everything. But in order to get that, to help you make your project a success, you need to involve us and need to get us on board. And that seems to be working quite well. Perfect. Thank you, Simon. Um, I suppose Mark bringing that background. I think everyone's answered, haven't they? I haven't forgotten anyone. Yeah. I think everyone has, yeah. Bringing that background to you. Um, is there anything else that you kind of want to add? Any other questions you've got following on from that? Yeah. I, th- I think that's a similar process to where we're getting to at the, at the minute. We're going through everything that we've got and we've got good processes in the background there that are bringing more things aligned to the way things need to be done. But I think there's a the process that I'm going through at the minute is going back through everything that we've already implemented yeah. to say, has that followed that process? If it hasn't, then we need these things to be in place to give us that assurance that those things have been done and then incorporating that further down in the process. I think the hardest thing we face as NHS organisations and the thing, thing that comes up the most with all these procurements is, well, it's all right with it. Um, yeah. I've got it in other NHSs. So they haven't they, complained. They, they haven't, yeah. They didn't mind. Yeah. 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 Well, I think in all these cases, the, the risk register is your friend, isn't it? Yeah. You get it on the risk register and get it visible by the board. Get them to see that, yes, this system we've had in for five years is now a high risk. And these this is what needs to be done. And they can either accept the risk or they can do something about it. And I think the, the newly landed MFA policy is going to mean we're going to be speaking to a lot of our third-party uh, suppliers as well. So at least that yeah. gives us the, we'll call it an opportunity, to uh, to review those contracts and uh, make sure that the, you know, the foundational fundamentals are in place. Yeah, that's going to be interesting, isn't it? Because when we've offered trust services out that need MFA, um then staff who haven't got trust devices, fine. If you if you don't want to use our if you want to use trust email over open connections, you need to enroll your personal device in MFA. I don't want to run, enroll my personal device. Fine. You don't get email at home. Mm. Simple equation. When it's coming into stuff that you haven't issued someone a work phone, but in order to do their job to connect to a third party system, they're going to need to enroll in MFA. I can just see loads of people folding their arms and saying, not using my personal phone, no, just for the hell of it. Yeah. And then how do we manage that? Because we did MFA years ago for a password vault, 100 people in our department, and two people came and said, I'm not using my personal phone for that. And you don't use the vault then. Simple as that. But that was a risk, risk to us if people aren't using the password vault. But if they're not going to use their own mobiles, and use MFA, and they can't have access. But then that means they write their passwords down in the back of an exercise book and stick it in the backpack. It's it's a cost, isn't it? It's the case of, oh, well, let's go for a fission-resistant one using FIDO tokens or Authenticator. Yeah. App, then, but there's a cost to the mm-hmm. FIDO tokens. And then if you want to use the app, then are you going to issue everyone with smart devices to be able to do that? Yeah. Well, you know the FIDO token is going to be the cheaper route, but it's not that much cheap when a FIDO, to- FIDO 2 tokens start at 50 quid and you've got over a 1,000 people to issue that. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. 
Okay, well, thank you, everyone. I guess that kind of wraps things up. Um, just before we kind of end, just a massive, massive thank you um, to everybody for agreeing to get involved. I appreciate you all very busy. So, you know, giving up the time to get involved. So, yeah, massive, massive thank you. Hopefully all of our kind of listeners really enjoyed the conversation tonight.